Welcome aboard another great episode of the Swing Second Podcast. I am John Schofield, uh, former PAO at the U.S. Naval Academy, former surface warfare officer, proud graduate of Villanova University, and director of communications at the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation. Joining me is Chris Cervello from the great class of 99, shooter extraordinaire from USS Harry S. Truman, and great friend and great golfer. And very happy to have him on board today. We have an amazing interview with General Charlie Bolden, former NASA administrator for about eight years, a distinguished graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and a member of the class of 1968. Um, A very special interview that we're proud to bring you as part of our continuing coverage of Black History Month here in February. Um, But let me start, ladies and gentlemen, on somewhat of a somber note. Um, If you're an alumnus of this uh, of the U.S. Naval Academy. You were contacted by our CEO and President Jeff Webb uh, probably yesterday on the 12th with an announcement that many people already know and probably saw on social media that last week on Tuesday, February 6th in California, five Marines lost their lives in a helicopter crash, a CH-53 Echo Super Stallion helicopter crash. Um, Among uh, the deceased in that crash uh, was class of 2017 graduate Miguel Nava. He was a member of 22nd Company. He was a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a friend, and above all else, as everyone knows, a Marine. Um, his wife, Ryan, uh, and their five-month-old son, which is just heartbreaking, Luca, um, obviously mourn his loss, as do his brother Nicholas and parents Lisa and Javier uh, Nava. Um, We do have to send out our uh, thoughts and prayers to the others who perished in that crash. Captain Benjamin Moulton, uh, Captain Jack Casey, Lance Corporal Donovan Davis, and Sergeant Alec Langan. Um, This is a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that what people do in the Navy and Marine Corps, in the military writ large for that matter, is a very dangerous business. Um, You know, this crash, uh, while not in a war zone is a product of people doing, as I said on my own personal uh, social media over the weekend, it is a product of people doing the hard things and the dangerous things so that I can sit here and Chris can sit here with a microphone and talk on a podcast. Um, They are the ones standing the watch so that we don't have to. And I know that I am very proud um, as a member of the staff and uh, at the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation, as I know Chris is proud as an alumnus, that we continue uh, through our Memorial Affairs team, uh, through our staff here to support the Naval Academy, uh, the family of Miguel Nava, uh, the company, um, and everywhere else um, where there is a need for assistance through times like this. Um, This is what we do. Uh, We're not you know, just here to put in the time card and work nine to five. Uh, There are no days off when it comes to supporting our grads and particularly our grads, families, our alumni's families, uh, when they go through something terrible like this. Chris, I'll throw it over to you. But, um, you know, out of respect for the Nava family, this will be the only thing that we cover 
uh, in the open before we get to an amazing interview with uh, Charlie Bolden. I know that this is something that you and I are not blind to. We're not inexperienced at, but it never does get easy, does it? No, it doesn't get easy, John. And I mean, it, 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 every shade or every color of these is difficult, right? I mean, whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they have kids, whether they don't, I mean, it just tears you apart as somebody that is a part of this fraternity, um, this brotherhood, this sisterhood um, that, that you know, goes along with serving your country. Um, I, I mean, I just, I hate reading these emails. They make me sick to my stomach. Um, I hate talking about it, but I think we have to talk about it. I think you have to celebrate the life of those five uh, individuals and the service that they provided. You have to talk about their families. You have to, you know, be aware of this type of stuff. And if possible, you have to figure a way to help out um, whether it's the Nava family or any of the five families that were involved in in this mishap or any other mishap. So I I don't know. I mean, it's uh it, it's a hard thing to do. I again I am very proud of the work that you guys do at the Alumni Association. I, I think it's important that alumni know um about these uh, sacrifices uh, uh and these you know when these accidents happen and i think it's important that they are able to provide whatever sort of emotional or financial or you know any other support service that is uh is possible well said chris we're not out here just shaking the can looking for uh donations um this is what we do this is why um, I like this job and this is why I'm doing it for the Naval Academy and not for Villanova University or anything like that. Um, not that Villanovans aren't out there standing the watch and doing tough things and, and losing their lives uh, in the service of their country. But um, I truly enjoy um, the fact that we put actual meaning and actual action, um, you know, behind our words uh, to support people um, in their time of need. I do have to give a shout out to uh, the Travis Mannion Foundation, you know, started a uh, a fundraising campaign for the family and all of the other entities out there. Um, this long blue line ties together very tightly, uh, you know, when when fellow alumni and their families are in need. Um, that is something uh, that will never go away at the Naval Academy. And I celebrate everyone, um, you know, who's pulled together to try to make life a little bit easier um, on Miguel's um uh, on his widow, Ryan, uh, and their very young son, uh, looking at the picture of them on the beach with this newborn kid. Um, I'll tell you what, if you have a problem coming into work, uh, and, and figuring out, you know, what you have to do above and beyond to help out, um, graduates and their families, alumni and their families, um, all you have to do is look at that picture and understand. Um, on that note, and I know that this is a tough segue, there is no way to really properly segue, um, but going about going from a discussion of one Marine Corps aviator to an amazing discussion uh, from another one, uh, General Charlie Bolden uh, served as a Marine Corps aviator for more than 30 years. He was the Marine Corps Deptant uh, here in the early 90s, uh, the NASA administrator, uh, the father of two amazingly successful kids, a great husband, a great alumnus, um, and just a great person to talk to. And, and I'll tell you what. It was perfect, Chris, us being able to talk to him, um, you know, this week and listen to his wisdom, um, which I really think rings true and is apropos as we talk about um, the Miguel Navas of the world and the other alumni out there, uh, alumni of color, 
um, and alumni of all colors. Um, and, and Charlie Bolden really said that uh, really, really well. I'll, I'll let you kind of contextualize the conversation everyone's about to hear really quick before we press play. But, you know, for me, Chris, I know we said it about Joe Cardona. We've said it about a lot of interviews, but it's hard to not walk away energized um, after listening to what you're about to hear from Charlie Bolden. Yeah, John, I mean, you know, you you made that segue uh, definitely. I mean, that's a hard segue, but but both discussions sort of the, the talk about uh, the Nava family and then you get to talk to Charlie Bolden. I mean, it's why we it's why we do this podcast, right? I mean, the it, it, it's why we celebrate the sacrifice. It's why we celebrate the accomplishments. Sometimes it's why we chalk talk the failures of, of graduates so that, you know, people get a sense of what it means to be part of the Naval Academy community. Um, I'll tell you, for me, Charlie Bolton has always been a hero. Uh, I, you know, we've talked about it before. I grew up in Southern Maryland uh, in the shadow and in the, the sounds of Pax River Naval Air Station. Um, I remember as a young kid when Charlie Bolden was selected to be an astronaut, it made local news. Um, we had astronauts that lived around us and were family friends. And so his name continued to come up. When I went to the Naval Academy in 1995, um, he was finishing his tour as deputy commandant. And then later when he went back to NASA, um, it was well known uh, that, you know, the tough job and he talks about it. And, uh, you know, he, he is a hero on so many levels. He's a role model on so many levels. We decided to talk to him this month because it's Black History Month, and there are so many great Black history stories that we could tell out of the Naval Academy. But Charlie's discussion of what it means to be first a, um, a successful grad, a successful aviator, successful astronaut, and then he talks about the nuances of being uh, a leader and a mentor to uh, midshipmen of color, to na Naval and Marine Corps officers of color, but also what it means to be a leader and a mentor to everybody. Um, and I think that's what people struggle with, right, is how do you celebrate accomplishments of minorities, do it in a real way that helps um, them succeed, that helps grow their numbers, that helps match the diversity and, and, and get the most talent that we can, while at the, still, at the same time being a role model and a leader to all folks uh, in the Navy and the Marine Corps. And uh, if you're looking to figure out how to balance that, man, stay tuned. The next 30 minutes are, are for you. And Chris, I know that uh, you and I are both incredibly proud of our fathers, uh, Tom Cervello and Jack Schofield, but Charlie Bolden also in one sentence gave probably some of the best parenting advice I've ever heard. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't check it out already, check out the space race on Nat Geo this week. It just dropped last night. Um, it talks about Charlie Bolden and other astronauts of color, uh, during black history month, but you know, stay, stay for his advice. Uh, everything that Chris just talked about without any further ado, here's our interview with Charlie Bolden. Special alumni interview as part of the Sing Second Pod this week. We are really pleased to be joined by General Charlie Bolden, former NASA Administrator, distinguished graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, and a member of the great class of 1968. For me, I think the most impressive part of your bio, General, is the fact that you are the father of a colonel in the Marine Corps and a plastic surgeon. So you made a colonel and a doctor. Um, that's a lot better than Chris and I are doing. Uh, but we'll save that for another time. But first things first, thank you so much for joining the pod, sir. And how are you doing? I'm doing very well. And I'll tell you, the trick to doing what what we did was marry the right 
lady. Uh, I married up big time. And so I'm just, uh, she needed somebody, I guess, to, to father those two great children. And I was there. So she, I, I guess I fit her bill. Uh, sir, you, yeah. you you couldn't have said it any better. Uh, I think we're we all married up. That's for sure. Um, and I know that the Naval Academy. And this sounds like a corny segue, but I I know that we really are lucky, you know, to have you as a member of the of the alumni. You know, you know, Chris, a member of the class of '99. Um, I know that you know I can speak for our uh, you know our EVP of engagement and communications, TJ Grady. Was very happy that you didn't fry him too bad when you were. Uh, on the Commandant staff here, you know, back in the uh, early to mid '90s. But if you can, sir, you know, we, we're we are so lucky to have you as we continue to cover African American History Month and and the impact that our graduates have had across the Navy and Marine Corps and in the civilian community. You know, what were some of the jobs in your 34 years in the Marine Corps and in in NASA? You know, how did the lessons that you learned, you know, on the banks of the Severn here kind of guide you on that journey? You know, great um, topic of conversation, because I uh, I recently finished a discussion with one of the, the the gentlemen, one of the learned gentlemen who's coming down to deliver the Michelson lecture uh, in, later on this year. And he was asking a similar question. I, I tell people everything I needed to know for everything I've done in life, I learned at my kitchen, you know, my my mom and dad's kitchen table growing up in, in the segregated South in Columbia, South Carolina, whether it's uh, issues of ethics or leadership or anything else. But the, I would have to admit that the Naval Academy put a fine, you know, kind of put a fine point on it. Um, I didn't understand exactly the things they were telling me as my brother and I were growing up. Um, but they talked all the time without using the terms about honor, courage, and commitment. You know, they they were both teachers. Uh, my dad was my high school football coach, and uh, he had a, a he had a favorite saying. It was a motto of our team almost that it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. And um, that could not have been better advice for going to the Naval Academy, where. You know, I was not a big guy at all. There were all kinds of challenges thrown my way, many of which I don't even remember anymore because they, in, in hindsight, they seem so so minuscule, to be quite honest. But but just that advice from my dad uh, enabled me to go. I had never boxed in my life, um, you know, and everybody, as you all know, has to take boxing and wrestling and you name it, 33 different sports back then. But I found that I really liked boxing. I, I found I was good at it. Um, I was in the lowest weight class they could they could imagine. You know, I had to, I actually, I think I weighed 117 pounds and and we were in the 126 weight class or something like that. But I, I did very well. And it, it was because I remembered what my dad had said about, you know, the size of the dog not really making any difference. And that's essentially what they taught us at the Naval Academy that, you know, you you spend your time in preparing, you study hard and work hard, and then you go out and most of all, you can't be afraid of failure. Uh, so all lessons that that were instilled in me, just like, you know, everybody who goes through the Naval Academy. Um, they talked about, in fact, I had a my brother's baby, my mother's baby brother, my another Charles. We had more Charleses in my family, but he was he was Uncle Charles and he was 
sort of considered the black sheep of the family because he was the only one that didn't go to school after high school. He was also the one that made the most money uh, after high school. But and but that we can that's a topic for another day. But I remember um, him saying to me one time, he kept asking, he lived down in Miami in uh, in Opalaka, and he kept saying, when are you going to come down to visit? And I would say, you know, I'm, we're going to come down sometime. And one day he just kind of quietly listened and he said, you know, you ain't nothing but your word. And uh, it hit me. It went through my heart because what he was saying was the same thing they teach at the Naval Academy, that, uh, you know, your integrity is the only thing you have. Uh, it's the one thing that's God-given. The only person that can take that from you is you. And he, again, you know, my family just kind of sealed what they taught me at the Naval Academy and made me understand it a lot better uh, after I was out of there. So so it it prepared me for everything that I did as, after I subsequently went on into the Marine Corps and then eventually to NASA. So let me ask you really quick, because we are celebrating Black History Month and the impact that that African-American graduates have had out there. What was the environment like here? You know, you, you graduated in 1968. That's a very interesting time in our history. Um, and, and then you presided over or not presided, but you were in the Marine Corps during a time of great change. You know, one of very few African-American astronauts at the time that you, you know, were going up into space and orbiting. You know, how, how how was that environment back then and how did you excel um, despite what was probably a time of, of you know, not as much inclusion as we see today? You know, it's um, I, I, I do take times to look back nowadays because I, I didn't appreciate it while I was there. I'm, I'm not sure about you, Chris, but, but uh, you know, it was just trying to trying to survive and get through. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, but in looking back at it, we were there in the height of the, well, the beginning of the civil rights movement. Um, but, and, and Annapolis was sort of like an island in the state of Maryland. It, um, the yard was a place where people came together of all races, creeds, colors, and nationalities. And we were expected to learn how to operate as a team in spite of everything that was going on around uh, on the outside. You know, when we went out into town, there were places we could not go, um, but we kind of found ways to work around it and, and found other places. There was a, a woman who was a custodian at the Naval Academy Museum, Mrs. Lily Mae Chase. And Lil lived right around the corner from the Academy on, on College Place, College Avenue. And she and her mother opened their house to the black midshipmen who came through the academy. And it sort of became a place away from home. And um, it actually was what eventually became, it was an example of what eventually became the, the sponsorship program at the Naval Academy. You know, several superintendents and commandants kind of talked to us and asked us the same question you did. And we said, well, a part of allowing us to to just survive was having a place to go that we could call home where we had a mom and a grandmom away from home who uh, encouraged us and allowed graduates to come back and, and counsel us. And we did it right outside the gate. And, you know, when the soup and, and commandant found out about it, they said, man, that's, a, that's a pretty good idea. Wonder if we could, we could test it out a little bit. And today it's essentially what has become the sponsors program, which is phenomenal for midshipmen. So 
we made do with what we had, and we um, we had a, an incredibly welcoming community there in Annapolis that had seen generation after generation come from late 1940. You know when when um, when when Midshipman Brown went through and became the first to graduate, um, but but gave us a family away a family at atmosphere away from home that allowed us to go through. I want to ask a little bit about your early part at NASA. Um, you go to, John mentioned you went to the Marine Corps, very successful there, successful aviator. You go to Pax River, my, my hometown, test pod school and strike, and then you get selected. Um, and then you go down to the uh, to the astronaut program. You're there, I would say at the high point and probably the lowest point for, for NASA can you talk a little bit about that experience and what what that was like? I mean, you've got to be when you go there the very beginning of the the nineteen eighties. I mean, you've got to be walking on air, literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then and then January nineteen eighty six happens, and I mean, everybody's life changes. But I can't imagine what it was like to be part of that family when that when yeah. the Challenger incident uh, happened. Can you talk about that time in your career? I can, and and there the Naval Academy probably um, you know the the experiences of going through the Naval Academy and then subsequently getting in the Marine Corps was what I think actually stabilized most of us in the program because many of us had been through service academies and a large number of us were Naval Academy graduates because uh, Na Navy you know has always been the school the university that has put more people into the astronaut program than any other individual school. So, so we were heavy, heavy on Naval Academy graduates and most of us had been test pilots. So we had faced loss before. So when I got there, um, it was 1980, the summer of 1980, we were supposed to have flown the shuttle in 1978 and we were still struggling to get it ready to fly. Um, not unlike any program in the Navy and the Marine Corps. So we were, somewhat accustomed to to having something that was uh well over budget and way behind schedule and we we felt we we could help with our past experiences there so i think the benefit of having been in the in the military particularly the naval service um helped all of us who were part of the program to continue to move it along you know when when i got there uh, Columbia had just been delivered and half the tiles had fallen off between Palmdale and KSC. And so my first job was I was on a tile repair tiger team looking at ways that we could improve the adhesion of the tile on the orbiter. But even more importantly, how could we come up with some kind of repair kit uh, in case we lost a tile on orbit and needed to make a repair? It, that was one of those fruitless efforts because we never did we we were just the material science, the 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 technology just wasn't there to enable us to do something. But we did, uh, we were able to ensure ourselves that we were comfortable that once we came up with a good adhesive, there were really very very few things that could happen to the tile on the orbiter that would cause us any problem. Um, we would we would rue the day many years later in two thousand three when we lost Columbia. Because in our studies of the tile, we had completely ignored the leading edge of the wings and the vertical tail, which were made of a really, we thought, an impenetrable material called reusable carbon-carbon. It was dense and very heavy, and we made the erroneous assumption 
that it was one of the strongest things we could have when in fact it was because it was so dense, it was really thin and it wasn't as strong as the fiberglass on a Corvette. And, uh, and so when hit by a piece of foam on launch, uh, on STS 107, it actually put a hole in the leading edge of the wing, which would be result in the death, the loss of both the, the Columbia shuttle and its crew. Uh, when hot air, hot gases, if essentially plasma got into the wing and and essentially melted the wing and the and everything inside it and and caused us to lose the crew. But again, just like in Challenger, in the case of Challenger, um, we were able to sit back and reevaluate what had happened, what had gone wrong, and come up with ways that we would we would remedy the situation so that that particular thing would never happen again, and we would move on. And, and probably have a, a very successful program. So from the beginning to the very end, when I left in 1994, I was constantly, my, my colleagues and I were constantly using the lessons we had learned, uh, you know, at Pax River and, and out at Edwards and other places on how to keep a system, a good program going and how to deal with tragedy when it, when it confronted us. I want to shift to, I guess, sort of maybe the the tail end of your space career. You go back to NASA um, as the administrator uh, during the Obama administration at another crucial point in NASA's history. Um, you know, may, maybe there, you know, you you mentioned the um, the Columbia incident. Um, you know, when you go back in the the late uh, or the er, the late part of the first decade of the 2000s, I mean, there I think there are a lot of people that were critical of NASA, critical of where the program was going to go. And then again, you find yourself in a um, a very important position. Can you talk a little bit about that time in your career and maybe some of the lessons that the Naval Academy uh, helped you with at, at that critical point? It it had and. You know, when I left the Naval Academy, I had no desire whatsoever to uh, to go to space. I, being an astronaut was something I I did not dream about. The good thing for me um, was that there were people who came ahead of me, like Dr. Ron McNair, who was from, and we lost him on Challenger, but Ron and I were both uh, young African-Americans from South Carolina. He grew up in a place called Lake City, South Carolina. And the first time I met him, he was incredibly inspirational and uh, and and motivating. Uh, and he asked me if I was going to apply for the space program. I told him, not on your life. And he, he, he kind of looked real strange and he said, why not? And I told him they'd never pick me. And um, he embarrassed me more than anything else because he said, you know, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. How do you know if you don't ask? And I, he reminded me that I'd forgotten every lesson my mom and dad taught me growing up and everything that I had learned at the Naval Academy about never, ever, ever counting yourself out, you know, having confidence that you can do anything given the appropriate preparation and everything. And I'd forgotten that. So uh, that made me say, okay, I, I may not have thought about doing this before, but I don't want to look back later in life and say, I wish I had tried or what if I had tried. So I told my wife, I was going to put my application in fully expecting that I'd be rejected and got an opportunity to interview and then got selected in the second group of space shuttle astronauts. So, so that's how I happened to get there. But when I got, uh, again, totally unexpectedly ended up being nominated by President Obama uh, to be the NASA administrator. I did not know him. I had not been in the campaign, but out of nowhere, uh, my name came up and, and, and I got a call saying he wanted to nominate me after I had had a 
a brief conversation with him. And I was one who believed that we needed to phase out of the shuttle, not, not for safety reasons, the way that others were, were kind of saying, but I was one who came into the program because I wanted to, I wanted to go to Mars. And I felt we should be going, you know, back to the moon and then on to Mars. And shuttle was not that kind of vehicle. So, so my reason for believing we needed to get NASA out of the shuttle um, had nothing to do with safety. It, it was all about wanting to be able to explore. We were spending $2 billion a year just maintaining shuttle, just on the infrastructure and everything else. So I fully agreed with the president when, when he um, made it very clear that we should start getting ready to wind down the shuttle program and then move on to trying to introduce commercial space capabilities, letting American industry do what we knew they could do. Um, very difficult time for my wife, Jackie, and me, because uh, when we made that announcement, uh, we had friends in, in uh, Houston in the space program who uh, all of a sudden we were, we were the devil incarnate. Um, we actually had a very difficult time when we went back home to Houston, uh, just walking through the mall because, you know, we would speak to people that used to be our friends and they would either turn their back or, or say something insulting about, you know, destroying jobs and everything else. And I fully understood that, but I, I firmly believe that where we were going was the right direction and everything. And I think we've been proven out because today, you know, with the commercial space sector, things are going better than than I think anybody would have ever imagined uh, before. And and we're really producing uh, a better capability than we had when it was just the government doing everything all on its own. So um, difficult time. Again, you know, my, my wife was here with me and uh, and supportive all the time when I would I would get discouraged or get down. My first two years, I struggled because I didn't know anything about Washington, D.C. and definitely did not know anything about politics. I have always been the eternal optimist and very naive about everything. And I I still am. Uh, but as I tell people, I married an, an older, wiser woman. She's only three months older, but but still. <laughs> Um, and she kind of, you know, kept me grounded and kept me from getting too discouraged. And we managed to fight through that together. And, and I think, I think, you know, the nation is better off and, and actually the world is better off because of the way that we have helped NASA migrate to a different way of doing business that allows them now to, to explore and to do the kind of things that, that they really were established to do. You, uh, you are the subject of a Nat Geo um, documentary that is out called The Space Race. And The Space Race weaves together a number of stories of Black astronauts that um, broke the bonds of social injustice, uh, and I'm reading from the promo, to reach for yeah. the stars. Um, and there are a number of uh, you know significant pioneers in this movie. Um, I want to ask this question, and, and I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to try to do this uh, in a, in a delicate way. But bear with me, sir. I just asked the question. It there is <laughs> for most good questions, there is no delicate way. Good. Good. I, um, I got to tell kids all the time. I say, look, stop working hard to to find a nice way to ask the question. Be the best questions are those that are blunt and to the point because it allows people to say. I don't want to answer that, or I don't know the answer, or whatever. So just be undelicate. Yeah, yes, sir. Th thank you very much. <laughs> so the, 
whether it's through your career and your mentoring or through this this movie, th there are two levels of this. There right. is very much a message and a story for African-American would-be pioneers. And then there's a me message for sort of everyone else. Yeah. And I would say for you as a mentor, you probably had to deal with that as well as a, as a mentor and a leader, um, specifically mentoring and encouraging young African-American men and women, but also you're, you're a mentor to everybody. You're a hero to everybody. Can you talk about how you balance that? Do you balance that? Um, yeah. Is there a difference in how you mentor um, folks that are that look like you versus everybody else? Yeah, I I'll give you my example of um, the year that that Jackie and I spent at back at the academy when I was the deputy commandant. It was a it 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 was a career changer for me. Now, I, granted, I had been in the Marine Corps for quite a while by then, but but it, it was a point in my career where it could have actually been my retirement um, prior. I could have retired and when I left NASA and just gone on to business or something, but, but I really did not want to leave the Marine Corps. And when I got the opportunity to come back as the deputy commandant, um, I jumped at it. So I, I, I did not do it without realizing the fact that coming back after 14 years of absence from the Marine Corps, there were going to be people who were going to be highly critical of me and of that. Um, one, those who would feel that this black guy shouldn't have that opportunity and others who would just say nobody who was away from the operating forces of the Marine Corps for that period of time should be allowed to come back and, and reap the benefits of, you know, wearing the uniform and doing all this other stuff. So, so I actually asked the commandant, I, through the, the assistant commandant, uh, General Jack Daly was a friend and I said, you know, can you check with the commandant and see if he minds if I uh, put my name in the hat or if I accept the offer from the superintendent to come back to be the deputy commandant after this next mission that I fly? And uh, General Daly came back the next day. He said, the commandant said, go for it. Said, we, you know, we have, this is the first time Terry Murray, my classmate had been the, was the deputy commandant at the time. And he had gotten promoted out of the job and getting ready to leave. And the commandant did not want to lose that position. And he said, if they're going to let you do it, you go do it for the Marine Corps. And so I was really happy. And I flew my mission and we left. And when we got back, um, Jackie and I decided we had to do two things. We had to we had to be parents and mentors and everything to the brigade of midshipmen. But we also had to be, a, you know, role models for the the faculty and the staff in how we dealt with midshipmen so that they would would want to emulate the way that we did, the way we treated them as young men and women. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Uh, great interview, went long. And Chris even said it after we were done with the interview yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Charlie Bolden's not a bored guy. Um, he's He's got shit to do, man. And, <laughs> um, and he made time. I promised him 15 minutes. We took 30 of it. And he couldn't have been happier about it. And and that is just a sign of of how awesome our grads are. Um, Chris, you did, you know, you want to talk about use of the word deft. You did an amazing job prepping it, um, asking him the questions that I really think he uh, he answered well. Um, and and uh, I'm just incredibly proud 
uh, to have him on during our uh, Black History Month coverage. We're also very excited that next week, ladies and gentlemen, our next set of interviews will be with uh, two distinguished graduates who uh, are, are great men, uh, men of color, but beyond that, to use Charlie Bolden's own words, just great leaders, uh, Admiral Julius Caesar and Admiral Derwood Curtis. Um, they will impart their knowledge, uh, their perspective, and their advice uh, as we continue our coverage of amazing grads out there. Uh, one last word before we take this out, talking about some great grads who are stepping aside. I do have to give a shout out to class of 1969 graduate Lou, Lou Gianotti. Uh, Lou Gianotti um, just retired last week after 30 plus years of service to his alma mater. He graduated, was a surface warfare officer, which means that he had his head on straight, uh, ascended to the rank of uh, commander and had command of USS Halliburton. Uh, and if you've had command of an FFG, ladies and gentlemen, that is a rough, rough tour. Um, but on top of that, uh, Lou Gianotti came back to his alma mater several times, taught in mathematics, uh, ran the finance department during the very early days, you know, when when the Naval Academy Finance Department, with all due respect, was kind of a mom and pop shop. And then I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, he ran Ward Hall through some times of incredible change. You want to talk about like being the IT guy at the Naval Academy as the internet comes online, as chat rooms come online, as things like Yik Yak and social media come online, um, opening up Bancroft Hall. And I know that Chris Cervello had the last real plebe year, um, you know, before there was air conditioning or anything like that, but bringing cellular service to Bancroft Hall when I was the PAO there in 2015 was a Herculean effort. And then allowing for the easy transition to online learning um, during the pandemic. Lou Gianotti did it all, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, his daughter, um, you know, my fellow Villanovan, uh, you know, graduated in, in the class of 97, right after I did in 96. Uh, I call Louise a very close friend. Uh, she forwarded me Lou Gianotti's um, nomination package to be considered as a distinguished graduate. And I didn't realize how badass this guy was. He just came in here today um, to have an interview with us. We're going to post it online in appreciation of Lou Gianotti. But I wanted to, on this podcast, offer my appreciation for him uh, and what he did. Chris, as we go out, I know the thing that you're most looking forward to is us getting a star uh, wrestling. We'll try to do that on Friday night um, You know, here at the Naval Academy. We're coming off of two star losses so the overall series now, Chris, stands at nine, eight, and one um, yes. as both basketball teams dropped the star this past weekend up at West Point. Tough losses. Uh, now wrestling has a chance to build uh, some gap there. Um, the only star matches remaining, ladies and gentlemen, are both of the tennises, men's and women's tennis, men's and women's outdoor track and field, baseball, and men's and women's lacrosse. Uh, so it's going to come down to the wire here, ladies and gentlemen. So Friday, uh, really, really special time is our chance for uh, another star against wrestling. Uh, what are your predictions there? Knowing, you know, this isn't the uh, Sing Second Sports podcast anymore, but we're still sports fans. Yeah, I think I feel good about uh, re the wrestling star. I mean, we, we've done well um, since Coach has been there. And so um, I, I think we've got a, a decent shot to win that. I mean, some of that is a little hope uh, uh, associated with my optimism. But 
Nine, eight, and one. Ew, that makes me I, – I don't like the way that sounds. I mean, I would love to get that win this week. And um, I think we probably win in track and field, right? I mean, uh, we haven't really gotten into the spring sports seasons. Baseball, I don't feel that great about. Um, and uh, lacrosse, I think I, – I, I mean, I, I, we'll see, right? I mean, lacrosse – the lacrosse season is a journey. So who, who knows what's, what teams show up for those uh, those matches. But it would be nice to pad that that lead and, uh, you, you know, kind of win that series early. Yeah. And congrats, uh, to those two programs. Joe Amplo was off to a two and zero start, uh, with pretty good wins over the Mount and, uh, Hofstra and, uh, and women's lacrosse, you know, shout out to, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas grad, uh, Ryan Perry, um, his fellow St. Thomas Aquinas, um, athlete, Ava Yovino, um, you know, preseason All-American uh, leading uh, Navy women's lacrosse to a win over the most hated team on the planet, the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, so things are looking up there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that is a wrap for us, ladies and gentlemen, for Chris Cervello. Um, I am John Schofield. Many thanks to Charlie Bolden uh, for joining us. And as we go out, uh, Eternal Father, strong to save our thoughts and prayers to the Nava family. Thank you for standing the watch. This is Sync Second. We are out. Repeat the mistakes that we made in the past. And, and we just cannot afford to do that in this day and age. No, we cannot. And sir, incredibly amazing advice. I'm going to leave it right at that. Thank you so much for making the time. You truly are a distinguished graduate um, of this institution. And we thank you so much for making the time. It was an honor for me. I kind of fanboyed it. Uh, usually that's Chris Cervello's job, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's called the Space Race, ladies and gentlemen. Watch it on Nat Geo, uh, General Bolden, and so many people, um, again, part of our American history without borders, without boundaries. Uh, please watch it. Sir, we can't wait to have you back on, and the next time you're in Annapolis, we can't wait to see you. Uh, I love it. Thanks very much, and I'll look you up when I get down there. Can't Come wait. Come out to the, uh, the Astronaut Convocation. I think it's the 29th of this month. 29th, and yeah, right at the see, end of the month. You'll get to see Duke. And we're doing something different this time that we've never done before. It's always been Naval Academy graduates that were the features. We're actually bringing back one of Duke's colleagues um, who is a West Point graduate. So we're going to have Frank Rubio. His daughter is, a, I think she's a firstie, but I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. And his son's a plebe up at West Point. But we wanted to focus on the critical importance of the inter-service uh, cooperation and collaboration that all of us have gone through when we come out of the Naval Academy, when we then become members of the U.S. Department of Defense and our national security establishment, and we work together. So um, hopefully you'll get a chance to come out and say hello and, and enjoy it. We'll be there. All Ladies right. Take care. General Charlie Bolden, uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, Chris and I are going to bring this baby out. Swing second. All right. Take care. Swing second podcast is sponsored by ProMD Health. ProMD Health is a state-of-the-art medical practice comprised of several locations, all specializing in non-surgical treatments and procedures to help patients look younger on the outside and feel younger on the inside. At ProMD Health, their unique personal approach to medicine, coupled with their cutting-edge anti-aging treatments, provide their patients with unsurpassed care in a relaxing setting. They cater to patients that require the best in personalized medical care. Please visit ProMDHealth.com Visit their office in Annapolis. Friend of the pod, Scott Melamed, has been the original sponsor of Sync Second. 
and we encourage you to visit the website for your non-surgical medical needs. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Uh, great interview, went long, and Chris even said it after we were done with the interview yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Charlie Bolden's not a bored guy. Um, he's He's got shit to do, man. And, <laughs> um, and he made time. I promised him 15 minutes. We took 30 of it. And he couldn't have been happier about it. And and that is just a sign of of how awesome our grads are. Um, Chris, you did, you know, you want to talk about use of the word deft. You did an amazing job prepping it, um, asking him the questions that I really think he he answered well. Um, and and uh, I'm just incredibly proud uh, to have him on during our uh, Black History Month coverage. We're also very excited that next week, ladies and gentlemen, our next set of interviews will be with uh, to distinguished graduates who uh, are, are great men, uh, men of color, but beyond that, to use Charlie Bolden's own words, just great leaders, uh, Admiral Julius Caesar and Admiral Derwood Curtis. Um, they will impart their knowledge, uh, their perspective, and their advice uh, as we continue our coverage of amazing grads out there. Uh, one last word before we take this out, talking about some great grads who are stepping aside I do have to give a shout out to class of 1969 graduate Lou, Lou Giannotti. Uh, Lou Giannotti um, just retired last week after 30 plus years of service to his alma mater. He graduated, was a surface warfare officer, which means that he had his head on straight, uh, ascended to the rank of uh, commander and had command of USS Halliburton. Uh, and if you've had command of an FFG, ladies and gentlemen, that is a rough, rough tour. Um, but on top of that, uh, Lou Giannotti came back to his alma mater several times, taught in mathematics, uh, ran the finance department during the very early days, you know, when, when the Naval Academy Finance Department, with all due respect, was kind of a mom and pop shop. And then I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, he ran Ward Hall through some times of incredible change. You want to talk about like being the IT guy at the Naval Academy as the internet comes online, as chat rooms come online, as things like Yik Yak and social media come online, um, opening up Bancroft Hall. And I know that Chris Cervello had the last real plebe year, um, you know, before there was air conditioning or anything like that, but bringing cellular service to Bancroft Hall when I was the PAO there in 2015 was a Herculean effort. And then allowing for the easy transition to online learning um, during the pandemic. Lou Giannotti did it all, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, his daughter, um, you know, my fellow Villanovan, uh, you know, graduated in, in the class of 97, right after I did in 96. Uh, I call Louise a very close friend. Uh, she forwarded me Lou Giannotti's um, nomination package to be considered as a distinguished graduate. And I didn't realize how badass this guy was. He just came in here today um, to have an interview with us. We're going to post it online in appreciation of Lou Giannotti. But I wanted to, on this podcast, offer my appreciation for him uh, and what he did. Chris, as we go out, I know the thing that you're most looking forward to is us getting a star uh, wrestling. We'll try to do that on Friday night. Um, you know, here at the Naval Academy, we're coming off of two star losses so the overall series now, Chris, stands at nine, eight, 
and won um, yes. as both basketball teams dropped the star this past weekend up at West Point. Tough losses. Uh, now wrestling has a chance to build uh, some gap there. Um, the only star matches remaining, ladies and gentlemen, are both of the tennises, men's and women's tennis, men's and women's outdoor track and field, baseball, and men's and women's lacrosse. Uh, so it's going to come down to the wire here, ladies and gentlemen. So Friday, a uh, really, really special time is our chance for uh, another star against wrestling. Uh, what are your predictions there? Knowing, you know, this isn't the uh, Sing Second Sports podcast anymore, but we're still sports fans. Yeah, I think I feel good about uh, re- the wrestling star. I mean, we, we've done well um, since Coach has been there, and so um, I, I think we've got a, a decent shot to win that. I mean, some of that is a little hope uh, uh, associated with my optimism, but nine, eight, and one, ooh, that makes me – I don't like the way that sounds. I mean, I would love to get that win this week, and um, I think we probably win in track and field, right? I mean, uh, we haven't really gotten into the spring sports seasons. Baseball, I don't feel that great about. Um, and, uh, lacrosse, I think I, I, I mean, I, I, we'll see, right. I mean, lacrosse, the lacrosse season is a journey. So who, who knows what's, what teams show up for those, uh, those matches, but it would be nice to pad that, that lead and, uh, you, you know, kind of win that series early. Yeah. And congrats, uh, to those two programs. Joe Amplo is off to a two and zero start, uh, with pretty good wins over the Mount and, uh, Hofstra and, uh, and women's lacrosse, you know, shout out to uh, St. Thomas Aquinas grad, uh, Ryan Perry, um, his fellow St. Thomas Aquinas um, athlete, Ava Yovino, um, you know, preseason All-American uh, leading uh, Navy women's lacrosse to a win over the most hated team on the planet, the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, so things are looking up there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that is a wrap. For us, ladies and gentlemen, for Chris Cervello, um, I am John Schofield. Many thanks to Charlie Bolden uh, for joining us. And as we go out, uh, Eternal Father, strong to save our thoughts and prayers to the Nava family. Thank you for standing the watch. This is Sing Second. We are out.